Good morning, Gate Church friends and family. It's so good to see each and every one of you there today. Thank you for taking time and making time to be at the Gate Church today. I know and I trust that even though Holly and I are not there, that you all have worshiped the Lord thoroughly and with open hearts today. You know, something that's so important to us is that continually, every day, every week, the people of the Gate Church pour out our worship and our love for the Lord God, creator of the heavens and the earth. And so I'm sure that you guys have had an amazing time there already today. Thank you to our teams who've served and hosted today. It's an honor for me to be able to share some things with you that the Lord has laid on my heart, some things that the Lord has been teaching me both through his word and through other pastors, teachers, and leaders that pour into Holly and I's life. And I'm very excited to share with you some of the things I have today. But just before I get into the word today, I want to say thank you to the church family of the gate. You all have been so kind and so gracious to me and to my family. Thank you for empowering us and for allowing us to be here in Georgia. Uh, we have uh, we have buried my grandfather uh, by the time you're watching this video, but we still have a celebration of life service that will be happening tonight. And so I'm going to have the privilege and honor to be able to speak and share some things with family and our community here in Hiawassee, Georgia. And so I don't mean this in any way to be pretentious, but my grandfather was very popular and very well known here. And so there will be a large gathering, I predict, to be here to celebrate and honor his life. And so I want to encourage you that in Oklahoma City, because of your graciousness and your generosity towards my family, I believe that we're going to be able to leave a healthy, God-focused fingerprint all the way in Hiawassee, Georgia, a thousand miles away. Isn't God good? Now, I want to say this, that right on the other side of this camera, as I'm speaking to you, Pastor Holly is here with me. She sends her love and her greetings. And so we want you to know that we're both here today to be able to help bring the word. And I also want you, I also want this congregation to know that my kids, as I'm filming this video to you today, my kids are spending time with their grandparents, my parents. That's bringing joy and laughter to my mother and to my father. And it was my mother's father who passed away. And so she's able to love on her grandkids and spend time with them in a time where her heart is sensitive. And so thank you for allowing these things to happen. My sister Hannah is right here on the other side of the screen. She's helping me film today. And so I'm here with my family. I believe this is where I need to be this week. But um, it's also very important that we take a few minutes and spend together in the Word. And so thank you for being faithful. Thank you for worshiping. Thank you for giving. And thank you for allowing me to still have a life and time with my family. That means so much to Holly, and I thank you so much. Now, those things out of the way, I want to be able to share with you just a few brief thoughts on some things that the Lord has been teaching me, uh, some things that have brought tremendous breakthrough for the well-being of my own soul. It's opened up great doors as it pertains to our purpose and our assignment. And I believe that the Gate Church, not just because of Jordan Holly, will experience the benefits, but I believe the Gate Church is going to experience the benefits of the truth 
and the power of some of these principles that I have here today. And so I want to speak to you today about overcoming disappointment. So elbow your neighbor just a little bit and say, overcoming disappointment. And so um, as I begin today, I just want to share this simple verse with you from Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. It says this, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Other translations say this, my people suffer for lack of knowledge or my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And so I want to remind you of this gate church that any place where you are uninformed, unenlightened, you will suffer. The enemy works in darkness. Great imagery for ignorance is darkness. If you don't know, you don't know. You know, many times we use the word ignorant as a slander. We use it to put other people down. When in fact, if someone is ignorant, they're innocent. They just don't know. If you don't know, you don't know. You can't help that. But one of the powers of God's word is that it enlightens us. It shines the light The truth of God's word shines into the dark places of our mind and our heart, and it teaches us. It illuminates to us the truth of the universe. And so I believe that the enemy wants us to stay in the dark when it comes to disappointment. He wants us to misunderstand it, to misidentify it, so that he can continue to take advantage of us in that particular area. Of our life. And so part of my goal here today is to inform you, to teach you, uh, for us to learn together. Um, I want to say this as we talk about an attack of the enemy, we need some context. We need to set ourselves up well for success. And here's what I mean by that we need proper context if we're going to learn and to discuss about being an overcomer and defeating the enemy at his own game. And so this is the first thing that I think I want to be able to say about having proper perspective before we proceed any further is the scripture teaches us that we are to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. And so I want to say this, we need to be wise. Christians are called to be learners and discerners. It's good to be smart. It's good to be wise. You need to know facts, but you need to also be able to understand what's going on in your heart. What's going on in the world around you? You need to be wise, but we're not militant. God's wisdom, we don't get issued an assault rifle when we get issued a Bible because we're wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. We learn, we see, we know but we put our trust and our hope in the Lord because it's Him who fights for us. The Scripture says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Look at your neighbor and remind them, Vengeance belongs to the Lord. The work belongs to us, but the reward, the glory, and the honor belongs to the Lord. And so we don't need to obsess over our enemy. You don't need to obsess over demons And devils, you don't need to obsess over his tactics and over his lies. When we want to learn about overcoming disappointment, we have to know this first and foremost. To be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove means this. I don't obsess over my enemy. I submit to the leadership and the voice of the Holy Spirit.
You don't have to know everything about the enemy. You just have to trust and follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. Our focus is not on dark things and evil things. Our focus is on the light and the truth of God's voice and God's word. Those two things never are in disagreement. When you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, He leads us. He teaches us the mind of God. And all we have to do is obey and trust the voice of the Holy Spirit, and we will win every single time. The scripture says this in Isaiah 54 and 17, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. The second thing I need you to know this morning, church, is that we don't need to obsess over our enemy. We just need to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's the thing number one. Thing number two is this. Victory is yours. God is on your side. He did not call you or create you to be a loser. He did not call you or create you to be a victim. I've got good news for you today that Jesus is on your side. Jesus makes a way when there seems to be no way. And the promise of his scripture tells us this, that no weapon of the enemy formed against you will prosper. God is for you. So you need to take heart today. You need to be encouraged. Before we go any further, you need to know that victory is guaranteed. And so I want to proceed just a little bit further because I want to talk about some things that we need to do. But then I also want to tell you about what God wants to do because I want you to be able to overcome disappointment. And so I want to read to you from this verse in Romans 8 and 31 that says this, If God be for us, who can stand against us? When God is on your side, you can and you will win every single time. So if you're taking notes today, I strongly encourage you to get out some pen and paper or use the app on your phone to write down some of these things I'm going to tell you because I believe this. Powerful spirituality is not just an experience, it's also practical. I believe some of the most powerful things in the world are simple. All you have to do is choose to do them. And so I want us to go forward henceforth understanding the practical nature and the power of God's practical spirituality that we can practice together. And so here's something I want to tell you about disappointment. I want to define that word. Because I'm sure that you are like me and that for a long time, I thought disappointment was a feeling that I would feel. And just the way of life, the way people teach us and trained us, perhaps our parents, our teachers, our coaches, they teach us this, that when you feel disappointed, what do you do? We well, just pick yourself up and keep going. And I believe it's in that small misstep that the enemy is able to creep in and wreak havoc in our soul, in our heart. And so I want to break down that word, disappointment. And so I want to focus first on the first word in that compound word that says this, dis. Now here's what you need to know. The word dis comes from the Greek. And so dis is another name for the Greek god Pluto, who was God 
of the underworld. And so dis, D-I-S, means this, to separate, to tear apart, to take thing here and thing here and to rip them apart. And so the work of the God of the underworld is to separate us from God's appointment and from God's assignment to our life. And so when the enemy wants to bring disappointment into your life, it's not just to hurt your feelings a little bit. You need to know this, that your enemy despises you. He wants to see your life in tatters. The only thing he knows to do is to kill, steal, and destroy. And so you may think, disappointment, I'm tougher than that. I've overcome a thousand disappointments and I'm just fine. But are you really? Are you really living the life that God wants you to live? My encouragement to you today is don't let these small attacks of the enemy steal from you what God has purposed for you. And so I want to say this about being disappointed is that is the work of the enemy to separate you from God's appointment, his assignment for your life. So you need to take heart today that if the enemy is trying to disappoint you, that means this, that God does have a purpose, a plan, an assignment, an appointment for your life. Now, you need to know that the enemy is not attacking you. Because you are sidelined. He's attacking you because you're in the game. And so when you feel disappointment come against your life, that in and of itself is a dark confirmation that God, in fact, is at work, that He loves you and He has a purpose for your life. So many times I thought disappointment was a feeling. But here's what I've learned is that disappointment is really an attack. The attack comes first. The feeling follows. Elbow your neighbor and say, the feeling follows. And so if we want to understand the attack of the enemy, it's not just a feeling. We have to know this. The enemy is trying to work damage and death in my life when I feel this disappointment come. <clears throat> and so I want to tell you just a little bit about the downward spiral of disappointment. Now, my father taught me this, that sin is never measured. And here's what I mean by that. A little sin turns into a little more sin. A little more sin turns into much more sin. Death is never satisfied or content. The enemy is never satisfied or content. He wants to hurt you a little to hurt you a lot. You, some of you are familiar with the, the idea, the, the legend of Greek myth of an Achilles heel. You can be invincible, but one weak place in the enemy can get you. The scripture says it's little foxes that spoil the vine. And so when disappointment comes against our life, it may seem small at first. But if we are not careful, if we're not cautious, if we are not wise as a serpent, then the enemy takes one little thing and he turns it into a big problem. And here's what I mean. Because disappointment comes into our life usually through a situation or an interaction. And we walk away and we go, that didn't go well. 
And already the pain of disappointment is beginning to work to separate you from your place, to separate you from your appointment and your assignment. The next thing that happens in the downward spiral is that you start to become discouraged. And so this happens when there are a chain of events or circumstances. There are, it's not just a thing that didn't go well. It's starting to seem that things are not going well. So it's more than just one. It's a chain of events and we start to become discouraged. And what does that mean? We become separated from our courage and our confidence that God is in fact working in our life. We start to question, is God really going to do it? It seems like things are not going well. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I've messed up. I've messed up so bad. How can I come back? I need to let somebody know today, you cannot allow disappointment to steal from you. You cannot allow yourself to become discouraged in your marriage, in your business, in your calling, in God's grace for your life. You cannot become discouraged. You cannot surrender to the enemy because the next thing that happens after you become discouraged is you start to become disoriented. And disoriented, we've now moved from events and circumstances to now we've moved into a condition. Disoriented is a condition where you find yourself saying, where is this going? What do I do next? Disoriented, becoming disoriented separates you from your true north. We take your compass away and now you don't know where am I going? Who am I supposed to be? The next thing that happens after becoming disoriented is disorder. Your soul becomes flipped upside down because you live in a pain of disappointment, letdown, and confusion. Your soul gets out of whack and we start coping, medicating to numb the pain. It's not long before the only thing that will satisfy is a shopping spree at Target. We may pull out a bottle that we've not pulled out in a long time. We may start seeking out relationships that we know we shouldn't be engaging in. But we're hurting so bad our soul is disordered that it's not long before depression and anxiety start to set in. Now, Here's what you need to know is if you continue down that path much further, I love you enough to tell you this truth that when you continue down your soul being disordered, depression and anxiety sets in that death is what comes next. And maybe not just death of this flesh body, but death of your dreams, death of your assignment, death even of the covenants that you've sworn, your marriages, business covenants, your covenants with God about how you'll live and work and serve. They all start to die. And so remember when I said just a moment ago that the enemy is evil and wicked. He's not playing half measures. He's playing for keeps and he starts with a little, but his end game is always death. And so we need to be wise to his attacks. We need to be perceptive and understand that when I feel disappointment coming, that what the enemy really wants is he wants to lead me down a path that leads to death. But guess what? I got good news for you today because the enemy may come against you, but the Lord always makes a way of escape. He always makes a way for victory. He is and he will always be the one, the path, the way 
to victory. And so we've talked a little bit about the feelings and the downward spiral of disappointment. But now I want to share with you, once I recognize that I have disappointment in my life, that I have maybe disorder, I've become discouraged, I start feeling defeated, what do I do now? Guess what? It's so easy because all you have to do is choose. And I want to tell you about a couple of simple choices, and then I want to tell you what God does when we choose the right way, the right path, and the right response. The first thing you do when you identify disappointment in your life is you got to know this. Disappointment is a trap. Now, I grew up a country boy, and I'm sitting here in the lobby of East Gate Church in Hiawassee, Georgia. So when I was a little boy, I used to love to read about cowboys and Indians. And I was always particularly fascinated with the Native American tribes, their lifestyle, their culture. And I read in a book once about a trap called an Apache foothold. And it's a hole in the ground that has sticks in it. And the, there's a cord in there. And the idea is that when you put your foot in it, it hurts you. And your first response is to try to pull your foot out. But the trap works in a way that it, it pinches you and it grabs you. And the harder you fight to get out, the more damage it does. That's how disappointment works. And so the first thing you have to do to defeat disappointment is realize, even when I maybe feel just a little pain, that's the trap. And you got to get out of the trap fast. So here's what you do to get out of the trap. The first thing you do is you got to wash the residue off. And here's what I mean by that. The pain of letdown and rejection stains and drains our emotions. Elbow your neighbor and say, that was really good. Stains and drains. Disappointment leaves a residue on our soul and we need to be washed clean of that residue because if we don't, it starts to contaminate our speech, our actions, our thoughts, and even our personality leading to bitterness. We got to wash off the residue of pain. How do we wash off the residue of pain? How do I wash off the residue of disappointment? It's so simple. Worship. Worship is a natural act that has spiritual consequences. Worship is a place where you can go and be honest before God. God, I'm in pain. I'm hurt. They let me down. They disappointed me. They did something I didn't see coming. They did things to me I didn't want to happen. They said things that it hurt me. I thought they were going to be nice, but they were so mean. I thought they were going to respect and honor who I was, but instead they put me down. There's a thousand scenarios. but We got to wash off that residue. And when you come to God's presence, you say, God, I'm in pain. But God, I need you. Lord, even when I'm in pain, I still choose to love you. Let me tell you, friend, right smack in the middle of your Bible is a book called Psalms. And there was a man named David who thanked the Lord that he wrote down the pain of his life. But let me teach you something about worship. You need to be honest about where you're at. The best worship is honest worship. Not always that, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored, brother. I know and you know most of the time we don't really feel that way. When you go and be honest about your condition, you also have to be honest about this. Who our God is and what it is that He wants to do in my life. 
And so you can come and worship and say, God, I'm hurting and I'm in pain. I'm honest about that. But I'm also honest about who I know my God to be. And so I can be hurt. I can be wounded. I can be disappointed. But my God has never left me nor forsaken me. He is my shepherd and I shall not want. He leads me to green pastures and causes me to lie down by still waters. He restores my soul for his namesake and leads me in paths of righteousness. I might be hurt like a sheep sometimes, but I also got to be honest that God is my shepherd and I shall not want. That's good worship when you're honest about who you are, but also who God is. Isaiah 61 verse 3 says this, To all who mourn in Israel, that means God's people, He will give beauty for ashes. He'll give you joy instead of mourning. He will give you a garment of praise instead of a garment of heaviness. And God's people will be called trees of righteousness. They'll be called the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. The best thing you can do when you're disappointed and discouraged and disoriented is to run to the altar in the house of the Lord. Run to your prayer closet or the altar in your house. And pour out your worship on him and say, God, even when I'm in pain, Lord, I choose to trust you. I choose to love you and I choose to put my hope in you because God will wash away the residue of heaviness. He'll wash away those ashes of disappointment and he'll give you beauty. He'll give you a garment of life and joy. Nehemiah 8 and 10 says this, Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I know there's some people in that congregation today, you're naturally happy. And God bless you. I love you. I'm also a little jealous. The brokenness of my own flesh, I'm not naturally wired to be a happy person. And so I've had to learn this, that even when I don't feel joy, God always has joy. Even when I'm disappointed and hurting, God always has joy. I need to remind you something that you can't manufacture joy all on your own. You can't point and look in the mirror and go, now be happy today, Jordan. Be happy today, Cole. Be happy today, Daniel. Be happy today, Lewis. And then all of a sudden be happy. But now here's something I've learned about God. I can't manufacture joy, but God is Joy, you know, God's never had a bad day. You and I may have bad days, but God has never had a bad day. Do you want me to tell you why? Because God never loses. He has never lost a battle. He doesn't have bad days. And so when I don't have joy, I can run to the Lord and he gives me not my joy. He gives me his joy that causes me to always be happy, to always be strong. Did you know that you can be hurting and have joy at the same time? Because you can feel the pain of reality, but you can have the supernatural joy of the Lord that will overcome your situation and your circumstance when you run to Him in worship. The second way that we overcome disappointment is this. We set our hope 
on the Lord. Elbow your neighbor and say, you got to set your hope on the Lord. And so a key to overcoming disappointment is managing and stewarding hope. Hope is a powerful thing. And sometimes maybe we don't talk about it enough. You can't defeat a man who has hope. You can't defeat a woman who has hope. There's something wonderful about the human heart, the human spirit, the human soul that when there is hope in there, you can continue on. You can press on towards the prize. And so when we hope and when we trust in the wrong things and disappointment comes into our life, it creates a lifestyle of performance. Meaning this, that because I'm hurt and I've put my hope in the wrong things, now I have to be God. And so performance says this, I'm trying to show the whole world that I am right and that I am good enough all on my own, in my own works, in my own strength. It also creates a lifestyle of fear. Fearing that if any little thing goes wrong, that my life will unravel. And so I know some people, they hold on to life with a death grip. Who am I? Where am I going? And if at any point the future seems uncertain, they start to come apart and unravel. It's because their hope has been placed in the wrong things. When you place your hope in the wrong things, the, the last thing that happens is you start to become selfish because you arrive at this, there's no hope, so I'm going to get mine right now today while I can, and I don't care who I have to hurt or what I have to do to get there. That's a reckless, hopeless life that is ultimately idolatry. You cannot give in to that way of thinking, feeling, and choosing. You need to set your hope on the Lord, not just on Sunday. When your hope is set, that means it is planted. It's like concrete. It is there and it is not moving. You would have to have a jackhammer and explosives to get me to dislodge my hope from the Lord. And so a good way that we set our hope or we bring our hope back to be set on the Lord is through prayer. Psalm 33, verse 20 and 22 says this, We put our hope in the Lord because He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. To have hope in the midst of pain, you must set your hope. On God alone. Look at your neighbor and say, set your hope. Now those are two things that you do, that we must do together. Those are choices that you make. But now I want to tell you the third thing that God does. The third thing that we have to learn and remember to overcome disappointment is this, that His grace is sufficient. Oh, listen, I need to tell somebody today that you are responsible for your actions, your words and your deeds. But there are some things that only God can do. And if God has called you and appointed you, if God has given you courage, then you must remember this, that I need to do it, not in my strength, but in his strength. Because guess what, friend? My strength 
your strength, human strength, human grit might do some things well, but it always falls short in the end. If God has called you to do great things, then guess what? You'll need his grace to get there. And here's some more about what I mean when I say that. When our soul becomes disordered, most of us double down on our bad choices, our bad lifestyle. And we simply say this, I'll try harder. I'll keep pushing more fervently. Let me tell you something, friend. When you become honest about that, I have reached my limit. I can't go any further. I don't know what else to do. When my soul is disordered, it's difficult to use a broken thing to fix the broken thing. So what must we do? Sometimes you need to let go. You need to let go of people who disappointed you. You need to, now some people we can't let go. If your spouse has disappointed you, I'm not telling you to divorce your spouse, but you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to let go of what they said and what they did. You're going to have to let go even when you disappointed you. Because see, there's sometimes you let yourself down. You didn't live up to your own standard. Maybe you didn't keep the diet or the workout plan. Maybe you didn't keep your study habit. Maybe you didn't keep your devotional promises to yourself before the Lord. You disappointed yourself. You know what you're going to have to do? You have to let go and simply say this. My strength fails. It falters. But God's grace is always sufficient to break the life of the lifestyle of striving off of yourself. You have to be honest. And you have to admit there are some things I can't do alone. Can I say this to you? The great heroes of the scripture, Old and New Testament, they all reached their limit. They all reached the limit of their endurance and their grit. And there came a point where they had to let go and say, God, I trust in your grace. And I choose to believe, Lord, that your grace is sufficient for my life. I want to encourage you today, right there in Oklahoma City, you need to remind yourself, You maybe some of us for the first time, we need to really choose on purpose to believe and to live like that God's grace is sufficient for your life. Honesty opens the door for God's grace to come rushing in to your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 says this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. And here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I realize God told me that when I am weak, he is always strong. Every time, every day, every morning, every night, He is always strong. His grace is always sufficient. It does not matter how often you are weak. God will always be strong. Please hear me today, Gate Church. Guess what? Over your life, this truth is ringing through the universe over your life that God's grace for you is sufficient. The scripture says in Genesis that Noah 
found grace in the eyes of God. And what did that grace bring? It brought an idea and innovation and technology that the world had never seen. And it caused his family to live when others perished. He lived in the midst of a wicked and filthy generation. And he still found God's grace for his life. The Apostle Paul, as he is writing, he's saying what? I'm under an attack from the enemy. It's like a thorn in my side that buffets me, makes it harder for me. It resists me. And Paul is saying, I prayed and said, God, take this away from me. And God said, no, Paul, you need to know this, that my grace for you is stronger than the thorn that's in your side. You need to hear something, friend. God's grace doesn't mean that your life will be easy. It doesn't mean that it will be a bed of roses. It doesn't mean that you won't have an opponent. It doesn't mean that there won't be people in your life that they don't believe in you. They don't cherish you. They can't see you for the person that God has called you to be. Those things will always exist. But God's grace says this, even when there is a thorn, even when there are situations, circumstances, and people that resist you, that refuse to celebrate you, to identify with you, to help you, to bless you, God's grace says, I will see it done in your life anyway. Because the enemy can't curse what God has blessed. If God says you're the head and not the tail, it doesn't matter what they say about you. If God has called you to be a king, then it doesn't matter that someone else doesn't want you to be. If God has called you to stay married and to love your wife, then guess what, old friend? God's grace is enough that you can do and be everything that God has called you to be. Disappointment is going to come. The sting and the pain of it is going to come. Wash off the residue of pain through worship. The second thing you got to do is make sure that your hope and your trust is set in God and God alone. Not people, not money, not title, not position, but in God alone. When our hope is set on Him, peace will come into our life. And when you've done those things, you need to know this. It may still be tough at times, but God's grace is sufficient. His grace is urgent. His grace is active. His grace is waiting for you just around the corner. His grace is ready and available for you right here today. And here's what I believe over each and every one of us today, Gate Church, is that if we learn to walk with to live with the grace of God. People will look at your life. They'll look at my life. They'll look at our life together as a church family. And they'll say, how did you do that? How do you do what you do? How do you worship this way when life is hard? How do you believe that God can heal the sick when there's doctor's reports and x-rays? How do you believe these things? How do do your marriages flourish? How come you do so well with your children? How are y'all's pocketbooks doing so good when the rest of the world is hurting economically and financially? I believe this gate church that we're going to be able to step back and say, it's not me. 
It's not me alone. It's not my strength and my striving. It's the grace of God on our lives that has caused us to live a life that we couldn't live on our own. It's caused us to become a people that we couldn't become on our own. It's caused us to see miracles happen. The grace of God has caused us to see things we thought we could never see. The grace of God can cause us to live debt free. The grace of God can cause us to live a life of favor with people in our city. The grace of God will help us to feed the hungry and to clothe the homeless and the cold. The grace of God will help us to do and to be everything that he's called us to do. So my encouragement to you today, trust in the grace of God and that it is sufficient for your life and for mine. Now, we're going to be, I'll leave it to the team who's there to help facilitate this, but we've put together a prayer card for you. There's going to be some verses, some scripture on this prayer card. It's going to be about index sized. So you can put it in your, put it in your wallet, put it in your phone case, put it in your purse. You can stick it on the visor on your car, though I suggest don't read and drive. My mama used to do that. Please don't do that. Okay, but you can keep it in your visor. Keep it in your cup holder. It's going to have just a couple verses on it, not 50, just three, four, or five. And here's what we want you to do. That when you feel the pain of disappointment coming, you can pull out your prayer card and you can pray and remind yourself, no, I may feel some pain, but these are God's promises over my life. So I know that many of us are facing difficulty. Work, maybe our marriages. Maybe we're believing God for big things and we don't know how we're going to get there. Let's not let disappointment steal from us the promises of God. So the ushers may be going through the aisles or we may have those at guest services or both. Make sure you get a prayer card for yourself and a prayer card for your family. I'm going to be doing it with you. I'm going to be picking out the verses for you. Some of them I've shared here with you today. And so I'm going to be reading those verses over my life, over my family. I'm also going to be reading them and praying them over you. But I need you to be in agreement with me. So get your prayer cards. Let's pray together. Let's put our hope in the Lord. Let's let Him wash us clean through worship. And let's trust and know that the grace of God is always sufficient. I love you. Holly and I love you. The team loves you. God loves you. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. I can't wait to be back in Oklahoma City. I hope you have an amazing day. Thank you so much for your time.